You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locks on Horn Frogs. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. If you missed it this week, uh, so I am I'm down with my in-laws for the week, essentially. We're doing Christmas celebration on my wife's side of the family. And I got halfway down the road, realized my laptop wasn't there. So going a little bit different, audio only. I'm going to try to get a YouTube episode up on Friday, and then we'll be back to regular programming starting Monday with the new year. And, uh, man, it's 2024, which is crazy. Um, but a couple just notes about that and my apologies for not having YouTube episodes up this week, all those things. Um, we'll move forward though in the new year, back up on video platforms and everything. You can subscribe though on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever the case may be. And I want to talk today about a running back that hit the portal. So one thing that I love about the transfer portal era, and I know it's frustrating for fans. It's caused a lot of strange things that I don't think people were anticipating a few years back Pandora's box kind of opened with NIL starting at, at the same time and the portal becoming more accessible and essentially like over the past few years just about anytime someone's been denied eligibility from the NCAA they've simply gone if they had the means to and wanted to they've gone to court fought that ruling and in most cases won and we're looking at a potential situation soon where we could see two-time transfers being eligible right away as well. Basically free agency every year within college football. Is it good for the sport? Probably not. I think it's frustrating for fans. Part of the charm of of this sport, I think, is that you, you're hoping that the kids that pick TCU and that are affiliated with the school – Love TCU the same way that I know a lot of you listening love TCU, whether you're a student there and you fell in love with the campus while you were uh, going to classes or you just grew up in the Fort Worth community, you have family ties, whatever the case may be, whatever it was that made you become attached to that community, that alumni base, Fort Worth as a whole, you hope that the players that are wearing purple each week share those same feelings. I think there's a little bit of a disconnect now with so much movement and ultimately like I totally understand these young men are I mean they're trying to plan for their future they're trying to find the right place for them I get all that it just does create some unintended consequences that have been tough to watch but one thing I love about it is it's kind of like free agency and pro sports now and so someone hits the portal and you're immediately just like okay that's an interesting name I recognize that person uh, they had a, a good career at School X. Would they fit at TCU? Do they have any ties to the area? Do they have any ties to the coaching staff? And you sort of, in your mind, you just create, all right, is this the next Is this the next frog, right? I try not to bring names on the podcast unless I do some digging and say, okay, there's a national reporter who thinks there's some smoke there. Or Jeremy Clark or Jamie Plunkett at Horn Frog Blitzer saying, there's an official visit that's going to happen or that there's interest on TCU's part. But one name that hit the portal yesterday uh, that I found intriguing, because right now we're in this what's called the dead period where no official visits are happening. Coaches are, I don't know if coaches are ever really on vacation, but they're kind of taking a step back at the moment. 
from the recruiting aspect of it. So we're not getting a lot of information that's being reported or put out there as far as who's connected to who. But Jaquindon Jackson hit the portal from Utah. And if that name is familiar to you, if you're a Metroplex person or you follow Texas high school football, Jaquindon Jackson was a quarterback at Duncanville a few years back. And he was really talented, uh, outstanding player. I don't think he won a state championship. I feel like he was on that Duncanville team that lost to North Shore on the Hail Mary at the end of the game. But he had a really good career. Outstanding athlete, five-star. I can't remember if he was rated as a five-star QB or just athlete in general, but an incredible player. And he goes to Texas. Things didn't really work out there as far as him getting a lot of playing time. So he ends up transferring to Utah, and he he moves positions. He becomes a running back, right? And so he had a really productive career for the Utes. Uh, this past season, he ran for over 700 yards. I'll pull up his stats right now, so I, I quoted exactly. Um, but he had 161 carries, 797 yards, and four touchdowns, almost five yards a carry. He had 531 yards on 78 carries in 2022 for about seven yards a carry. And has great size. I mean, 6'2", 230, really built, kind of like a linebacker type almost, uh, physical runner. So I, I mentioned this on... I'm having trouble keeping up with day of the week it is. I guess it was Wednesday's episode. I was talking about, okay, what's left on the Christmas list for TCU football as far as who are they looking to find in the portal to plug the holes on the roster, right? And the more I thought about it, I think they need a running back. Um, You're losing to Monty Bailey. Now you have Cam Cook, who didn't get a lot of opportunities this past year. He'll be either a redshirt freshman or a sophomore, depending on how they kind of work that out in the offseason. And then you'll have uh, Corey Wren potentially back for another year. Uh, I think Trent Battle will definitely be back. And Trey Sanders, who was your short yardage back this past season. I think Jackson will be a great fit. Now, Jaquindon, at least at this point in his career, hasn't been featured much in the receiving game. He wasn't someone that got a lot of catches. Now, I don't know how much of that is his style of play or if it's just the fact that, you know, Utah's had some, this year especially, Cam Rising was out for the entire season, so they were really playing musical chairs at quarterback. And that affected their offense and their play calling in a lot of ways. But even if he's just kind of a big physical runner that can sort of change pace with Cam Cook, I feel like that's a huge asset. And again, he's local. He's from Duncanville. Um, I'm not sure what the interest is going to be, but I would love for TCU to at least pick up the phone and, I mean, call. I'm not sure how many people are actually calling folks these days. It's probably a text message. But reaching out and touching base and gauging interest in Jaquin and Jackson because I think he could be a really good fit for this offense and for this team moving forward. I just, I hope I'm wrong. Or, I guess, if it turns out that they don't go after a running back in the portal, I hope that I'm wrong in saying this. Um, I just don't think there's enough evidence yet that Cam can be Cam Cook can be your every down type of back. Now, I had similar questions about Amani Bailey this past offseason, and I ended up being totally wrong. I mean, Amani was the most consistent and best player on the team, to be honest. Now, the, the year didn't go as planned in really any regard, but I mean, he was one of the guys, he was one of the few instances 
of, okay, I think this could work if X, Y, and Z happen. And he went and he got it done. Um, and so he turned into be, he turned into a great running back for this team. And hopefully it's the same for Cam Cook. But I would feel better if you brought in one more player who could help share that workload. Now, maybe it's somebody in the room. I've always been intrigued by Trent Battle. And, I, I mean, I've said this before. Like, a few off-seasons ago, I, I went to do a show about, like, X-Factors in the TCU offense. It was following that team that went 13-2 and and made the national title game. And Trent Battle was one of the names that came to my mind. And I was like, man, he was so productive last year. And then I looked at his numbers, and he only had, like, a little bit over 100 yards receiving and not nearly as many opportunities as I thought. And I was like, wait, how did I miscalculate that so much? And I feel like it was mainly just because he he didn't have a lot of volume as far as receptions and that kind of thing. But when he did catch the ball, he was effective. When he got the ball in his hands, he was really good. And so it just stuck out in my mind. And it was in big moments too, like the Big 12 championship game or on a big drive against Baylor. But last season, even in the season opener against Colorado, I thought he gave them some juice when Imani Bailey was unfortunately on the sidelines because he was dealing with cramps late in that ball game. And I've just always kind of been confused as to why he didn't get more opportunities. So potentially it's it's somebody like that that steps in and makes it happen. Um, I mean, I think Trey Sanders has a, a pretty specified role. And it, it's a important one. Like you you need somebody who can get two or three yards on third and two, fourth and one, those types of situations. I hope that Kendall Browse is more comfortable running the ball in those situations this year. And then Corey Wren is, I mean, he's somebody that's going to catch the ball in the backfield, maybe be a special teams contributor. I think at this point, that's that's just who he is, right? Like he's been around for a while. This will be his third year in the program. He's dealt with injuries, but that's the type of contributor he's been to this point. But I would I would go after Jaquindon Jackson if I was TCU. Um, when we come back, a couple of sorted notes. There was a player that TCU will be getting in the transfer portal um, this upcoming season that made some things happen in his bowl game. And then also a couple of players, uh, one player that TCU was linked to that appears like he is close to making a decision, and it's not going to be the Frogs. And then finally, uh, a name you'll be familiar with, a former TCU QB has found a new landing spot and will be playing a new position. All that coming up next here on Locked on Horn Frogs. I do want to talk about LinkedIn jobs, though. I mean, it's that time of year where we're talking about talent acquisition, rebuilding a roster, finding the guys that are going to make your team go. It's the same with small businesses. It can feel like a high-stakes wager. Do you feel overwhelmed with the prospect of finding the right people for your business? You don't have to be overwhelmed. LinkedIn jobs can make the process easy for you. They actually have a new feature um, that helps you write job postings with help from AI. It's quick. It's intuitive. It makes the process easier. I've said this every time I mention LinkedIn, it's the number one name when it comes to finding work, which means that if you post your job on LinkedIn jobs, you're going to get a wide net of people um, and a fantastic talent pool. And then you can narrow that talent pool down by simple screening questions and other tools they have at their availability that will allow you to not waste time sifting through resume after resume after resume. LinkedIn jobs slash Locked On College. Post your job for free at LinkedIn Jobs, proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. So kind of a grab bag here of just assorted notes. Um, I, I was watching Tulane and Virginia Tech yesterday in, in their bowl game, and a weird situation for Tulane. Again, this is just kind of 
a consequence of this new world of college football. You have Willie Fritz is going to Houston, which I think was a great hire by the Cougs, by the way. Willie Fritz is moving on to Houston. And so they had a, a skeleton coaching staff. A, a lot of those two-lane players that had been contributors this year hit the portal because of that coaching change and other reasons. And so it was just a, a very odd group that was playing against the Hokies. Um, but Devon Deal, who will be on this defensive line for TCU this upcoming season, they landed him in the portal a few weeks ago. Uh, he did have a strip sack, had a forced fumble, had four tackles on the day, made an impact. And it's kind of like, I mean, I guess it's not that different from back in the day when guys that were going pro and were going to the NFL still played in bowl games. It was sort of like the last hurrah for those players before they moved on to their next phase of life. And this is somewhat similar. I mean, it's, it's guys that are just having a chance to play one more time in that uniform before they move on. It's just strange to see it play out. It's kind of like uh, Texas A&M and Oklahoma State yesterday. Like A&M had Elijah Robinson as their coach who's moving on to Syracuse. They had a number of players that were sitting out. I think they were down to like 55 scholarship guys. And so it, it just makes, makes it for a weird bowl season. But I was excited to see Deal play. I thought that was cool that he suited up for the Green Wave. And he looks good. I mean, he's big. He's physical. He can rush the passer. Um, he's going to be a huge part of this off or this defense, excuse me. And it's so important that this team gets pass rush in 2024. And as easy it is, as easy as it is, excuse me, to just say, oh, it's just as simple as the 335. I do want to make this clear to people. Like, you still have to have dudes. And we're, this defensive line is not going to get a pass this year. Like, for the past few seasons, we can sort of give this defensive line um, sort of a grade with a curve because they're not necessarily being asked to win a lot of pass rush situations. Uh, they're mainly trying to, you know, keep gap integrity, reestablish line of scrimmage, allow linebackers and safeties to come down and be supportive in the run game. Um, and it, it's just hard when it's three on five to get to the quarterback. But adding more bodies to the pass rush does not just make you automatically win those battles and get to the QB. And if you're bringing pressure, which I think is, a, I think it's good. I think you, they need to mix up those things, change those looks. It's one of the things I'm excited about with Andy Avalos. Um, but if you don't get home, then you're leaving your corners and safeties in tough spots. Now, the good news is they were struggling so much to get any sort of pressure as is that even with dropping eight and nine in coverage, they were still struggling to cover guys because the quarterback just had so much time to sit and process and go through reads and pick apart the defense. But bottom line is these, these defensive ends, stud linebackers, D tackles, they're going to have to win these one-on-one matchups. Like you can, you can isolate and create all the one-on-one matchups you want, but you have to have guys that can get to the quarterback. And that's going to be a huge key to this defense. And so deals, it will be a huge part of that. Cooper McDonald is going to be a part of that. I hope Jonathan Bax is a big part of that. Um, Dominic Williams, you know, from the interior as much as he can, blowing up plays, getting to the QB, being disruptive. All of those things are going to be really significant in this new defense that is more aggressive and is more predicated on, okay, let's get after the passer. Let's, you know, change looks, try to confuse the quarterback, not allow the quarterback to trust his eyes pre-snap and just continually – get after it on that side of the ball. So Deal looked good, and I'm excited to see him play in purple this upcoming season. Uh, I, I saw this note yesterday as well. K.J. Jefferson 
it looks like he's locked in on UCF, which is intriguing. Um, I, I think that's a good fit. You know, the, the, uh, the Knights had a really good recruiting class that's coming in in 2024. Gus Malzahn's a good coach. I feel like he can, with his offensive mind, he's had big quarterbacks before. He's had QBs that can run. That seems like a good fit for his offense. Um, but TCU was not interested. And I know there's been some hand-wringing about that. It seems like they made the decision, and I've I've kind of just explained this over the last few weeks. Um, they're they're trying to allocate resources and build something around Josh Huber. That's what they want to do, and I think that's the plan for twenty twenty four. Beyond that, we'll have to see how Josh does. Haas Haney's obviously coming in. I think they're going to bring one more QB in, but I don't feel like it's going to be a QB of the future. I think it's just going to be a quarterback that is there to kind of solidify things, stabilize things, and allow them to feel okay with if the prospect of something, you know, some sort of injury or something happens that you have to make a change, you at least think you can have an opportunity and a path to winning games with quarterback X, you know, there in the game. And it looks like that might be Ken Seals from Vanderbilt, who's had a lot of starts and has played a number of snaps in the SEC, could be coming over and be kind of that veteran quarterback presence, backup QB type. Uh, But KJ Jefferson, that never materialized. And really – I mean, locally, like, guys that cover the team closely, like Jeremy Clark, didn't give any credence to that. I think the connection was simply insiders, industry guys looking at it and saying, okay, that would make sense if he reunited with Kendall Bryles. But it, it never came to pass. So UCF appears to be the destination for K.J. Jefferson. And uh, the new Big 12 is going to be fascinating. I think there's a lot of schools that feel like they have an opportunity. I, I was really disappointed that TCU couldn't put together a better effort in 2023 for a number of reasons, but one of them being it's just it, it's a time where nobody has emerged yet and there's going to be so much change that if you can start building some momentum, it could be big moving forward as this conference begins to take shape. And final thing in this segment, uh, Sam Jackson is transferring again. Now there was a coaching change, so apparently that allows him to be eligible immediately again. And he announced that he was going to Auburn, which I saw that last night, and I was like, well, that's an intriguing fit. I know Sam made some starts at Cal, was kind of in and out of the lineup. But I was surprised that Auburn would give him a shot at QB. But then this morning, I looked closer at the situation, and he's going to play wide receiver, um, which Sam's an electric athlete. I mean, when he would take off and run, and in those times that he got to play at TCU, I was just mesmerized by how quickly he could – get down the field, make moves, change directions. Uh, but, man, he also had an incredible arm. I, I'm sad for him that it never worked out at the QB position, but it sounds like he made this decision on his own, or maybe he hit the portal and just kind of figured out, like, okay, this seems to be the path for me if I'm going to keep playing at this level. But that's something I'm going to keep an eye on because I think he's a special player, and – I feel like there are so many things, what-ifs, that you can do in, in every scenario every year. But if he would just waited a little bit longer for Garrett Riley to leave and Kendall Browse to come in, I wonder how different things would have played out. Because I think Kendall would have been really intrigued by Sam and what he could do in his offense. That didn't happen, though. And, uh, you know, TCU's going to move on with, without him. But I'll keep an eye on him at Auburn because I think he's a special talent and – I'm surprised that he's moving to that spot, but it seems like it could be a good fit in Hugh Freeze's system as he's been known to churn out playmakers in the past. 
I want to talk some basketball to wrap things up. We'll do that next year on Lockdown Horn Frogs. I do want to talk about eBay Motors, though. eBayMotors.com. They have the Guaranteed Fit Program. If you need to find parts for your vehicle, it's not something you can mess around with. I've said before, like, I am so clueless when it comes to cars, but eBay Motors makes it easy for you. Their Guaranteed Fit Program, you simply put the part in the shopping cart, put the make and model of your car in there, and it will tell you whether or not it's the right fit for your car. It can't go wrong with eBay Motors. you got to keep your ride alive. It gets you from point A to point B every day. Anyone with car trouble knows how inconvenient it can be. Don't mess around with it. eBayMotors.com, Guaranteed Fit Program, only available for U.S. customers. So I want to talk some basketball here. Uh, TCU Women's Basketball, they will start conference play against BYU. And if you, if you didn't know this, the Lady Frogs are undefeated. They are ranked 23rd in the nation. Uh, they went through their non-conference schedule. And no, it was not the toughest non-conference schedule in the world. But here's what I'll say about how they played. I mean, they really dominated everybody. Uh, and they won a couple games against significant opponents. They beat Nebraska um, in a tournament. I think that was in Florida where they played. They beat Tulsa this year. They beat Oral Roberts. But they also played a lot of teams like Incarnate Word, Rice, Texas and Kingsville, Mount St. Mary's, Omaha. But they won all those games by huge margins. And Madison Connor is an outstanding three-point shooter. Sedona Prince is really good in the post. Uh, Jaden Owens is their point guard. She runs the show. She's done an outstanding job. Mark Campbell, it's a fun system. They're in a spread pick and roll. They're trying to shoot a lot of threes. It's positionless basketball in a lot of ways. I mean, they're not dumping it down and letting so-and-so go to work on the low post. It's a lot of pick and pop, dribble handoff, you know, going around the perimeter, trying to find scores. So I'm fascinated by how they're going to do in Big 12 play. Now, this is a tough league. I mean, Texas is really good. Baylor under Nikki Collins seems to have found their footing after that Kim Mulkey transition a few years back. I, I think they're at the best they've been since she's been there. They're undefeated as well. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are very good. Iowa State, Kansas State's always solid. So I, I just want to see how they play. I mean, this team hasn't made the tournament in a long time. They should have made it back in 2020. But COVID hit and unfortunately ended that season. That was a good team. I mean, they were projected to be a five seed. Um, that year they finished third in the big 12 because they lost a tough game to Texas, but they led Baylor at the end of the third quarter at home. They hung tough with Baylor in the first half and Waco that season. They were a really solid group and I thought they could have made a run, you know, like the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And then after that, things kind of unravels for Reagan Peebley and her staff, but Campbell's done an outstanding job working the transfer portal, getting the talent level much higher and they play BYU at 4 o'clock at home on Saturday. And I would just say, if you haven't been to Shawmire Arena to see them, get out there, support them. If you haven't been watching them on ESPN+, Plus, like turn on your TV, check it out, because I think this is a good team that can make a run and make some noise in Big 12 Conference play. And it's been a while since we've had a women's basketball team that could do that. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to watch them play in Big 12 play coming up. The men... They went to Hawaii for the Diamond Head Classic um, and took one loss. They didn't win two games. They beat Hawaii um, to uh, finish third in that tournament, but lost to Nevada in that tournament and lost pretty handily. You know, the two games where they've played teams that are solid, Clemson and Nevada, they've gotten beat pretty soundly. Um, they opened Big 12 conference play with Kansas, 
which is going to be really tough. And I think the frustrating thing for a lot of folks is it's many of the same problems that we've seen with other Jamie Dixon's team. This seems super athletic, but they don't shoot well. They still seem to be finding their footing on offense. I think the biggest issue is Jameer Nelson Jr. and Jacoby Coles going into the year seem to be the guys. You know, the last few seasons, Mike Miles and Damian Ball have kind of been there to bail them out in half-court situations. They were at their best at scoring in transition, but when that broke down and they had to get a bucket in the half-court, those were the guys they went to. They honestly just haven't had that this year. They haven't had that player emerge. Now, Micah Peavy's much improved. Emmanuel Miller has done some great things, but if those are your two best scorers, then it's going to be tough sledding on offense. Now, one thing I did notice against Hawaii, it seemed like they slowed the pace down, and that helped their defense out a lot because one thing when they're getting up and down the floor like they have been, it helps the offense, but I think the defense suffers on the other side of it. So they've got to find a balance. Ernest Uday had his best game of the year against Hawaii, which was encouraging. And if he can become more of a force down low, that would be huge. Um, but it's kind of been each and every night somebody – like there's just been a lot of inconsistency. Nobody's stringing together game after game after game in a row playing well except for PV and Miller. Miller did struggle in their last contest. Um, so they have one more non-conference opponent. And then they hit – I mean, they hit the teeth of Big 12 schedule immediately. It's the toughest conference in America. And they play Kansas and Houston and then maybe Baylor right after that. I'm, I'm looking up the schedule now, so I'll make sure I get that right. So they play Texas A&M, um, Corpus Christi on Monday, January 1st. Then they get Kansas on the 6th, Oklahoma, excuse me, who's ranked 12th in America right now, and then Houston after that. So uh, going to be a dogfight in the Big 12 for both these teams and kind of going different directions at the moment. But hopefully the men can stabilize things and get going. And I'm really intrigued to see what the women's team does this year as conference play starts. That'll do it for Locked on Horn Frogs. We'll be back tomorrow. It's your team every day.